Great. Well, it's, it's always a privilege and an honor to come and, and share. And this, this time, we get to start off a series, a, another series, as Andy just mentioned. As Christmas is on the horizon, and as we are discussing and, and talking through some different ideas, why Jesus came? Why Jesus came? And maybe in this room right now, some of you have been raised in, in Christian homes your whole lives. Maybe you've heard these stories over and over and over again. My prayer this morning for us is that we would hear something new, that the Holy Spirit would, would give us something new this morning about Jesus and his life and his teachings. So I encourage you to, to open your ears and your hearts to, to allow the Spirit to tell you something new about the scripture that we're, we're going to go through. We can get so familiar with these, can't we? About Jesus and his life and his earthly ministry, described as the gospel or, or the good news that we can, we can tune it out. Or we can just kind of let it brush by and not let it soak in. Not critically think and, and stop. What is, what is Jesus showing us through his life? Maybe there's another group in here that have just started to hear these stories about Jesus. And you've got questions. And you're just excited to, to hear what Jesus' life is all about. And so we're going to speak to you as well this morning about the amazing Jesus and his life as he begins his ministry on earth. So today we all, every single one of us in this room, me included, have an opportunity to hear with our, our ears open, our, our eyes wide open, our hearts open to what the Spirit is saying this morning. And so today we are going to spend most of our time in the book of Matthew. Matthew, the, the tax collector who also uh, spent time with Jesus. He's going to give us an insight into Jesus and his teaching this morning. And so, why did Jesus come? And I'm going I'm to speak on this idea of ushering in the kingdom of God. Turn with me, I believe it'll be up on the screen as well, to Matthew chapter 4 and the, and the latter part of chapter 4, verses 12. And many of your, your Bibles are, are on your phones and apps and those sort of things probably says um, this at the top, Jesus begins his ministry. Verse 12, now when he, talking about Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending the nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. A few more verses. Verse 23. And he, talking about Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all um, Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And a great and great crowds followed him from Galilee. And Eclectus, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So in order to appreciate the gravity of Jesus' teaching, it's worthwhile to understand the place and time he was in. So, Let's use our imaginations this morning. And I have a daughter who is great at this. She loves using her imagination. <clears throat> Often making me late for work. Because she says, no dad, I'm just, I just want to use my imagination a few more minutes. And we actually have to set a timer on a phone or something be, to get her to stop. And so we are going to do that this morning. And I know as we get older, as our, you know, more years come in our lives, we tend to do that less and less, don't we? Or maybe there's some of you that are like, no, I actually love using my imagination. So let's go back to the story that we just read. Let's use our imaginations. Let's place ourselves in that story, in that time that we just read about. So if you grew up in that time, most likely as, as an Israelite, as a Jew, you would have heard the Old Testament stories. You would have, you would have heard about, about how God split the Red Sea. You, you would have possibly heard about those amazing stories about Jacob and, and wrestling this angel. Maybe you, you heard about Abraham and the amazing stories of, of how how Abraham was, was asked to bring his son up to the, the mountainside and he was going to sacrifice him. But at the last minute, a voice tells him to stop. These would have been amazing stories that you would have grown up listening to and hearing over and over and over again. Maybe even David and Goliath. You would have had fond memories about these stories being told as a child in the synagogues as, as you grew up, they would have soaked in. Yet, the reality that you are living in is, is not that fond of a memory. 
As you look around, you see the Roman soldiers as they occupy the land that was given to you many, many years earlier. As you walk around the city, uh, Capernaum, where, where Jesus was, as you walk around, you're reminded constantly of the oppression that you are under. The soldiers marching in their formations around the city. And in Capernaum, there's the Sea of Galilee, and they would have often marched around to the, the, the sea as well. You, you possibly also would have, would have known many people, possibly maybe family, maybe your uncle, working in a vineyard under this oppress, oppression, this, this Roman rule. And you know what? It, it actually is, is even worse because many years earlier, it was a vineyard that your grandfather owned, but it was taken from your family, and now you work under somebody. So can you understand this, this kind of weight that would have been on you at that time as a Jew? Yet all of a sudden, as we just read, there's these, these rumblings about a man named Jesus. And you start to hear that he's walking around the countryside talking about these things that are so much different than what you've heard before. So much different than, than the teachers that you hear, the rabbis and, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This Jesus isn't the same. And so you start to concoct this idea of like, I've got to go hear this Jesus for myself. And so you make your way uh, through kind of the word on the street of where Jesus is going to be that night or that day. And you come upon a house where there's a massive crowd gathered around. Just, just as similar as, as Catherine shared this morning, that crowd that would have followed Jesus, what would you have had to do? You would have had to push your way through the crowd to get to hear Jesus. And so you do that. You push your way to the crowd because you're, you're, I want to hear what Jesus is talking about. And lucky for you, you're, you're bold enough and you're brave enough to kind of push people aside and you get just close enough that you can hear what Jesus is saying. And you sit and you start, your ears perk up and you start to listen to what Jesus was saying. And so now the question I have for you this morning is, what do you hear Jesus saying? What would be the words that, that Jesus would be using? What would be the stories? What would, what would he do? It's an important question for us to ask ourselves because it helps actually give us a clear picture of, of our view of Jesus in the present. And so my, my next question for you, as you're pondering, what is Jesus saying? What was Jesus primarily about? If you, if you had to boil it all down, you had to kind of summarize or paraphrase what Jesus was about, what would you say? If you had to do it in just one sentence or, or, or a few words, what would it be? All right, here we go. As a teacher, I can't just, I'm used to the kind of noise and, and people talking, most of the time not talking about things that they're supposed to be. But you're a, you're a good crowd, right? So you're going to be on task here. So it's okay, yell it out. If you were to summarize what Jesus was talking about or talks about in one, a couple words or a sentence, what would it be? King of kings. Love. Kingdom of heaven. Repent. Salvation. Okay. 
all great answers, aren't they? Dying for people's sins, maybe somebody said that. Calling for repentance, we heard that. Doing justice, healing the sick, loving enemies, being born again. Maybe, maybe not worrying, right? All these things, or, or these, you know, these golden rules, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe some of these things are what come to mind. And so I want to be clear here. And he's going to come up and take the mic, the mic from me here. So I want to be clear. We celebrate and affirm all of these things. Jesus absolutely and, and did say those things. Okay? They are all good and they are true answers, but they're incomplete on their own. Now people are thinking, I can see, I can see the wheels are turning. So I'm proposing this morning as we start this series, as, as this kind of umbrella that's going to be this overarching theme is Jesus' life and message were primarily about the kingdom of God. sink in here. Jesus' life and message were primarily about the kingdom of God. So, as I propose that, if, if I talk about the kingdom of God, it, it probably, we probably need to break it down, don't we? Well, what does Jesus actually mean by the term kingdom of God? And, and I admit that as I started to work through this, it's like I've heard this so much in my life. I, I grew up in a Christian home and I heard it so much, but what does that actually mean? So well, let's break that down. First, kind of just going to fire a bunch of verses at you. Jesus went through, uh, throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among them. We read that, Matthew 4, 23. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Mark 1, 14. Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Luke 4, 43. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. John 18, 36. The term kingdom of God is repeated no less than 122 times in the Gospels. 90 of which are actually out of Jesus' own mouth. So 122 times and 90 from Jesus. New Testament scholar Norman Pirin says this. He's not overstating the case when he concludes. The central aspect of the teaching of Jesus was that concerning the kingdom of God. All else in his message and his ministry serves as a function in relation to that proclamation and derives its meaning from it. 
it is impossible to read the first three Gospels without encountering the kingdom of God every few lines. If we just take the book of Matthew, Jesus mentions the kingdom over 50 times. And people that know me, my math's not very good, but I, 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 I checked this. So that means that it comes up 1.5 times per page in the book of Matthew. So every 1.5 pages, you're going to see Jesus talk about this idea of kingdom. Another commentary says it this way. Dunn says this, he says, The centrality of the kingdom of God in Jesus' preaching is one of the least disputable. Or disputed facts about Jesus. It's in this content of his teaching, his explanation for why he heals, casts out demons, and tells parables. The kingdom of God is like dot dot dot. In other words, we are on firm ground concluding that Jesus' primary identity was that of a prophet proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God. So I hope I've, I've obviously really wanted to draw your attention to that. But now let's, let's look at, well, what did Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? As I stated, it's, it's something that does take some time. Trust me, I've been up lots just looking at the scriptures and, and digging into this. And so you're not alone in, well, what does this actually mean? And as you go through, particularly in Matthew like we did, you may see that Matthew interchanges the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So you're like, okay, is that different or is that the same thing? Well, what does that mean? And it's, it's okay to just kind of paraphrase that they are the same thing. They're interchangeable. And as we look at the English language, it's actually different than what was the intention in Hebrew and Greek. So in the Bible, if we look at the Hebrew and the Greek, the kingdom of God, this biblical term, actually refers primarily to an action that does include a place. So the kingdom in the Bible refers to the activity of a king reigning over his people. So that's important, this idea of reigning, that the kingdom in the Bible refers to the activity of a king reigning over his people. If, if I was somebody who ran, what would you call me? A runner, exactly. So just like this here, this idea of kingdom is a king reigning over his people. And you can get into all this, people who are way better, the English teachers in here. You can get into all the verbs and why, all that sort of the action words. But that's what the Bible is talking about. It's an action to rule or reign over his people. Kingdom is the state of being ruled. And so Jesus is announcing the arrival of God's reign. Does that, everybody with me now? Okay. So I, I don't tend to do this usually when I preach, but I've got to kind of zoom out for a moment. Okay. 
So let's pause and and let's zoom out to the bigger picture of the Bible for for a little while here. We'll we'll come back to Matthew chapter 4 in a little bit. But this concept of ruling happens very early in the Bible. All right, you can see that when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about you guys and interacting with you. So here we go. If you're, you know, you're at Connect Group or, or you want some Bible trivia, here's your, your Bible trivia. Let's see who can get this. Where in the Bible does this idea or this concept of ruling first come to be? Where do we hear it first in the Bible? Genesis. Oh, there you go. You pat yourself, round of applause. Good job. There we go. You are correct that, that this idea of ruling comes right away, depending on how your Bible is laid out. It could be on the first or second page. So God rules and reigns, but the Bible begins with God sharing that rule and asking humans to embody that rule and reign over creation. So the first time we see that humans are ruling or reigning over creation. And let's read Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion or it could be rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds of heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. That's the ESV, kind of a different translation. People are like, ooh, don't like that, right? People that, the spiders, right? Those sort of things that, nobody, that not too many people like. So God created, verse 27, man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Man and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that, that narrative, that, that story that, that just took place, the Bible sets this up in a, in a unique way, doesn't it? God's plan was to share his world with humans and to have his rule and reign, his will, be brought about in the world through humans. Not something that we, we necessarily talk too much about, is it? As we read that, you, you see we have a unique calling as humans among all other creatures on earth. There's something unique and divine about the human role in the story of the world. And humans, we have a responsibility to steward and oversee the world on God's behalf. And, and when we do, we represent God to all of creation because we are created in his image. Again, getting some looks like, okay, this is, this is some deep stuff to, to compute, isn't it? This divine vocation, we're told, is connected to being those divine, uh, those image bearers of God. And as, as you know that story in the, in the start of Genesis, we're, giving an, we're given a big opportunity to make some pretty big decisions, some significant ones, aren't we? 
And what happens in the garden is God gives us this choice. There's this, there's this tree amongst the forest, but for some reason we, we're so drawn to it, aren't we? And now we have this decision, are we going to define good and evil ourselves or are we going to let God do that? Are we going to try to seize this opportunity to define it ourselves? And so as you know that story, sadly, we take of that fruit, don't we? We, we want to know. We want to, we want to write like Satan says that. He says, you know what? In a way, God's kind of trying to hide some stuff from you, isn't he? We, we want to know more. And so we, we take of that fruit. And so now this, we're kicked out of the garden. And this, God sets this in motion. How is, how is he going to, how is he going to reorganize this kingdom over the world now? Now that we're broken and we've fallen. And so God starts to set this plan in motion of, of regaining this. And as you look through the Old Testament, there's a number of significant times where God does this. And I don't have time to go into this in depth because these stories are, are so important. So I'm just briefly going to mention them. So the first time we see this is we see this person named Abram. And, and, and eventually God makes this covenant with Abram and he turns to Abraham about these descendants that are going to go all over the earth. And, and he's going to take one of these descendants and so now we see that. And, and later on, as, as we go through the Old Testament, eventually we see this idea of the Israelites and Moses. And they're in captivity. Eventually the Egyptians, right? But what happens is Moses leads them into the desert. He, God splits the seas as we sung about. And they're in the desert. And what happens is Moses goes to the mountain. He meets with God. And they give the Ten Commandments. And this, this covenant, again, is re, they're reminded about how they're going to follow God's rules and his ways. Then eventually, they move into their, the promised land. And as many of you know, it doesn't go so well. And they fall away from it. And they say, they say, we want a king. And God says, no, like, I'm your king. I'm going to rule over you. But we want somebody physically that we can see. And these kings lead them away. And what happens is, is these prophets rise up and they begin to declare that God's time is coming. And it leads us into the New Testament where Jesus comes in. And so Jesus, who states that he's the king and that he's bringing in this kingdom of God and you should follow me as I direct us towards that. Jesus presents himself as being the one who is reasserting God's rule over the nations and over the people. And you, you see, friends, that is actually why the people wanted Jesus killed. Because of those bold statements that he was making, that he was the one to usher in God's rule over the nations. And that's why they wanted him killed. 
And this is the same king that we see in the book of Matthew. As Jesus starts his ministry. And now if we jump back into Matthew, now that we've, we've kind of laid out that, that Jesus is coming to usher that back in, we see this part where Jesus encounters the first disciples. The, the, the fisher people, the fishermen are fishing. They're just doing their, their daily job. And what happens is Jesus just says, stop and come follow me. And what do they do? They, they, I always find that just stands out to me like, okay, dad, bye, you'll figure it out, right? They just leave their work. They just stop and they follow him. And as I started earlier with this, this picture, if we put ourselves in that place, we don't generally respond very well to people that would do that, come into our workplace and say, follow me. We'd kind of be like, security, security, Right? But we know that obviously Jesus was the true Messiah. But they, they drop everything and they follow him. All their priorities, everything they knew about their identity, the story of where they thought their lives were going to go, it meant nothing anymore because Jesus had called them. Everything changed when Jesus summoned them. Everything. They were all in. All in. As I was preparing, the, the, I, I found this story, and I feel like it connects nicely to this idea of all in. There was this man who got lost in the desert. He's walking around the desert. He runs out of water. He's desperate, and as, as many of you know, water, it, you can last longer without food than you can with, without water. And he's desperate for water. He's roaming the desert aimlessly. <clears throat> as he's roaming, he, by the grace of God, he comes upon this shack. And he's looking around like, is there any water here? As he goes around the, the backside, he notices a, a pump. Those old-fashioned ones, right? Like we have at the campsites. Those squeaky ones. And he looks at this pump. And as he looks down at the pump, there's this, this jar of water. It's full of water. And you can imagine as he feels, I, I'm saved. I'm going to survive this situation. He looks down and he picks up this jar as, as he, he so desperately wants this drink of water. And on this jar, there's a note. And it says this, it says, use the whole jar of water to prime the pump. He's left with a choice, isn't he? This water in this jar could probably get me by, but if this pump works, I'm absolutely going to survive, aren't I? I could fill up my, my canteens that I had with me that have gone dry. I've got this jar. I'll absolutely have enough water to survive and get to salvation. So he ponders this for a while as he sits. What should I do? And after a while, he, he comes to the conclusion that I don't think this jar, it, it's going to quench my thirst immediately, but I don't think it's going to be enough. 
And so, nervously, he goes through the pump, and he primes the pump, and he dumps every last drop of that jar into the pump. And it's squeaky. And he's pumping it, and no water is coming out. And he, he frantically keeps pumping and pumping and pumping. And, and you can imagine his mind going, I've just blown, I'm going to die out here. Why did I, why did I listen to this? But he, he just, as he's pondering that and as he's worrying, a little drip starts coming out. It's kind of brown. But he, he keeps doing it. And keeps going and keeps going. And the water, fresh water just pours out of the pump. He begins to grab anything he can find and he fills up these jars. He fills up his canteen and he is saved because he went all in. He risked everything and he writes another note. Trust me, it actually works. You see, we're, we're not talking about a story. We're, we're talking about our lives, aren't we? A life that involves sacrifice, tribulation, giving up our rights, saying yes to the Spirit of God, being willing to adapt and adjust. As we just saw with the disciples, they, they held nothing back, did they, friends? They were all in. Because they knew that Jesus had that living water. They gave up everything to allow Jesus to rule and reign over their lives. Jesus redefines what it looks like for their lives. You see, Jesus doesn't let any part of their lives and our lives escape this gravity, does he? Of this decision. And when you live under God's rule and reign, we respond differently, don't we? To the world and the things around us. We love our enemies. We, we forgive. We seek peace. Let's jump back into Matthew. I did warn some people this is a long one to unpack all this stuff. Let's get back to Matthew 4:23. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. As I stated, Jesus going around these synagogues and preaching looked much different. Jesus' kingdom is so unlike anything anyone has ever heard before or experienced. Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was a servant. The one who loves also serves. This upside-down kingdom... Jesus' kingdom, like I said, is so unlike anything. And as we just read, Jesus' mission, part of Jesus' mission, was explaining that the kingdom doesn't operate like the earthly one, does it? 
When Jesus becomes king in our lives, we recognize our whole value, our, our system, everything completely changes in our lives. Our, our hearts and our minds are transformed. And some of you may be thinking, well, where, where do I learn about this? Where do I go to find out about this information? Well, guess what? The next part of Matthew actually helps us out. If you want to know what Jesus is about and choose to position yourself under his rule and reign, these are important chapters to read. 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. In these chapters, Jesus is going to say things that are counterintuitive to what we're used to hearing. For example, if, if he says that if you think you have the most to offer, you're actually the least. Those at the bottom of society and the most shamed are actually at the top. He, he calls those people, as many of you know, poor in spirit. This is completely different, isn't it? This upending of our views, this, this idea of power and of status. Well, what does Matthew also tell us in, in verse 23 about Jesus asserting his reign? Jesus, when he encountered people, they didn't leave the same, did they? When Jesus encountered us, when you encounter the Holy Spirit, we don't leave the same, do we? You see, it, it took, as, as Matthew said, Jesus went through the cities and villages teaching in the synagogue. It took time for Jesus to explain and re-explain and teach these things over and over again. The kingdom of heaven takes a lot of explaining for us to understand, doesn't it? But it also looks like, as we read, it also looks like healing. As you continue in the book of Matthew, there's nine stories of broken and hurting people. Through their sickness and shame, the way their bodies were with their diseases, Jesus heals them. Jesus moves towards these people, not away like often our society does, doesn't it? And in these encounters, people left transformed. Not only their bodies, but their hearts, their minds, and their souls. And just so we didn't forget about Matthew 4.23, if you go to Matthew 9.35, Matthew almost repeats himself. 9.35 says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities, villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And I strongly encourage you, as I've just touched on it, to read the rest of Matthew. And many of your Bibles will have red words in them. And those are actually Jesus speaking on these things that I've just briefly touched upon. Well, what does this now mean? Let's bring this all back together here. What does this mean for us? All these things that, that I've just talked about. 
You see, these stories aren't designed to simply tell you something interesting that happened 2,000 years ago. These stories are there to to draw us into a living encounter with the same Jesus we are reading about. That same Jesus that showed up to those disciples fishing. The same Jesus that that was walking around teaching and, and, and stopped for the least of these. This is the best news we can ever hear. It's good news. The Gospels, that means good news. This good news, friends, he still calls us today. He's still calling you. He's still calling me into a relation, a deeper relationship with him. He's still calling us. Just like many years ago as we read, he desires for us to be in a relationship, to to reconfigure the course of our lives. He's still calling us to be under his rule and his reign. And I I don't know all the things that you personally or your families are going through. The temptations that that you are facing as you go through this this walk. The disappointments, the the worldviews, the the things that you're bombarded with constantly. Maybe maybe the ambitions that that you have, but you don't just, you don't quite seem to be, be getting there. This idea of understanding what it, what it means to be a human in today's world. But Jesus is calling us to himself. And he's calling us to lay those things down at his feet. Friends, would, would you allow him to reorganize and transform you and I? We all need to be liberated. We all need to come under that love, grace-filled reign of the King Jesus in our lives. Can I pray over us? Heavenly Father, We all need you. We all need an encounter with you, Heavenly Father. Lord God, I I just pray right now, Father, that that you would be speaking to our hearts and to our minds, Lord God, of, of, of what we need to submit to you. What we need to to just give over to you. To lay those things at your feet, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that you are king, that you do rule, and that you do reign. Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That as we do so, the things of this world grow strangely dim. In the light of your glory and your grace. So Lord, if, if we need to, to, so to speak, put down those nets, if we, if we need to be all in, If we need to come into a a relationship with you, Father God, I pray that we wouldn't wait any longer. 
That as you call us, as you speak to us, that, that we would lay those things down and that we would follow you afresh this morning. And so, Lord God, we just pray that you would do, Holy Spirit, what you can do. Amen.